0: Welcome to the Inclusive Leadership in a Virtual World podcast. Each week, we invite a different world-class inclusive leader to facilitate a session for our weekly virtual gathering. The facilitators are given 10 to 12 minutes to share their unique approach toward inclusive leadership. Enjoy this featured inclusive leader and join us on Wednesdays at 10 AM Pacific. Today, he is going to talk a little bit about his REACH model um, copyrighted, uh, developed by himself and his colleague, Dr. Carmia Pekka, which takes a bottom-up, top-down approach to living a resilient life. And so with that, I introduce the great Dr. Roger Clogan. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Matthew, Bell, and all of you. Um, I've been privileged to be a part of ILVW, did I that did I get the initial right I always yeah, right <laughs> it's, it's a test of Roderick's memory but uh it's it's really a, been a delight of mine to uh, have been in a lot of these sessions over the last six or seven months and introduced uh to all of you uh this, um, and this this community by sage and uh and uh it, you know, she met she and I have met uh through LinkedIn so uh it's really uh, an awesome thing when when our social media and our social connections actually work the way that uh, uh, that in a way that's mutually rewarding and beneficial. So I'm going to share my screen and and walk through the reach model. So I'm just going to take a moment here to get this going. And so uh, the reach model was designed by myself and my colleague Kamia Pika. And uh, she and I designed this about uh, six years ago, and, uh, and we continued to work and to develop it. And it's called the REACH model, a bottom-up, top down approach to living a resilient life. So if you look at the graphic, you're probably wondering, what in the world uh, did somebody mess up here? Because that doesn't seem to spell the word REACH. And, and the reason why is because um, this graphic, as you will see, is illustrating uh, a point. And to further illustrate the point, I'm going to use an ancient literary device called a chiasm. So a chiasm is an ancient literary device that pairs opposites or complementary ideas. And these pairs are arranged in a reverse order, like A, B, C being the point, B, A. This creates then, this pairing creates a flow that incrementally progresses inward, and then finally it crescendos at a midpoint. And it's the midpoint that is the main idea. So that is to kind of help illustrate and help us understand how a works. So how does this work? Regulating the R of reach, turning down body arousal. So as we will see, as I move through this, each of the five elements of the reach model creates tension. And this tension is intentional. Um, we often think of tension uh, and we equate tension with stress. And and we think about tension as something we're trying to get out of. But the more we understand brain and body science, the more we come to see that what reduces stress is our ability to manage the tension. Another way of looking at this is managing the tension between extremes. It's the extremes that drives stress up. And it's our effectively managing the tension between the extremes that reduces stress. So people struggling with trauma, toxic stress, or a history of childhood adversity, the lower part of the brain is highly sensitive and reactive, the amygdala being a part of that. And that's often referred to as the low road. And it naturally moves lightning fast. And depending on the intensity, the duration, and the frequency of what's the stimuli is, then over time, this reactivity can move faster and faster and faster and faster. So, the moment that you and I become intentional to turn down body arousal, that creates that tension. Because if we're on autopilot and kind of going as we go, then the body arousal continues to go up and up and up. And one of the things we want to appreciate is that it's body arousal or muscle tension that holds on to stress. Stress is not a psychological issue. It is first and foremost a physiological issue. You can look at stress under a microscope and see it because it's measured by stress hormones. And so the body holds on to stress through muscle tension. So as we turn down body arousal, using activities such as relaxing the body, relaxing the muscles, calming our mind, whatever technique we might use, deep diaphragmatic breathing, meditation, yoga, and there's a long, long list of potential uh, skills and activities that people can do to relax the muscles and calm the mind. Part of that is being able to distinguish between what's real danger and perceived threat. And we do that by grounding ourselves in the now and practicing things like interoception and bringing our mind and body into coherence now we want to pair this regulating this turning down arousal we want to pair that with another part so we're going to go from the bottom of the brain to the top of the brain from this low region to the cortex and here we want to take an opposite approach we want to engage we want to turn it up now this is not going to create body arousal so simultaneously to reducing body arousal we want to engage our cognitive, the cortex. And by doing this, we're able to bring this sense of balance and stability. And again, the balance and stability is achieved between managing the tensions of the extreme. And and so activities like uh, executive functioning, making a plan, organizing, following through, abstract and concrete thinking, um, abstract Uh, thinking would be like using humor, expressing empathy, using your imagination, or being innovative, outside-the-box kind of thinking, or concrete thinking, follow the rules, be factual, data collection, physical attributes. It's the combination of those two. Again, if we think about them, it seems like they're on opposite ends of the spectrum, but together it engages the cortex. And there's Essentially, cortical development requires two efforts. On one part, it's about developing routines, homostasis, having that sense of predictability. That gives us a sense of safety. However, that's not how we grow. That's not how we learn. So we have to engage another part of our brain that we often think about in terms of plasticity. Uh, we, we take a risk. We, we venture out. We embrace the adventure we are open to the surprise and the awe and together again this is how we engage our cortex so we've got a pairing here bottom up regulate turn down body arousal top down start engaging your cortical brain and then we want to move a little further so we come back to the bottom part accepting we're going to get rid of some stuff we're going to let go we're going to toss guilt and shame. One of the biggest deterrents to personal growth and development for you and I, for all people, is this white knuckle grip we tend to have on what we know and what we believe. And and so uh, if we go back to some things we've already been practicing through regulating, turning down body arousal, we know that as long as I'm in muscle tension, and that's what's going to be if I've got this white knuckle grip on what I know and I believe, then part of this is now learning to relax the grip. But not just physically, but emotionally and sensory, we want to start relaxing our grip and open ourselves up that what I know might not be complete, or it might not any longer be accurate or helpful, or what I'm believing is not helpful. And, and what often becomes the case, particularly for people who are struggling with trauma, toxic stress, and histories of adversity. Is, is that they're holding on to guilt and shame, and narratives associated with that. Peter Levine said, "Trauma is not what happens to us, but it's what we hold inside in the absence of an empathetic witness. So this is about let go of self-condemning and self-shaming narratives, finding contentment with our wrinkles and scars. And, and, and we talk a lot and we hear a lot about said about self-acceptance. Well, in part, this is like a two-sided coin. I need to accept who I am and who I am becoming. But the other side of the coin is I need to accept who I'm not and I'm never going to be. And the more I spend energies trying to become something or someone that I'll never be, I'm robbing myself of the energies needed to grow and become the person I can be. Now, we're going to pair that tossing and guilty with taking a hold. So, as we're letting go, we're going to take hold. This is seizing opportunities to be rac- relational. Again, trauma and toxic stress and histories of adversity impacts and disrupts our routines, and we generally don't feel safe with people or public or social gatherings or collaborating on a team or speaking with strangers. So, if we have been practicing accepting ourselves and tossing guilt and shame, this is going to make it easier for you and I to connect with other people and not see ourselves in a negative light or see them as a particular threat. So we seize opportunities to be relational, affiliate, actively participate in a a team, a group, or a community, reciprocate, build relationships that are mutually rewarding, supporting, contributing, and then we want to slow our pace be much more aware of our surroundings. So this is something that I, that is particularly important for me is I'm focusing on moving slower, walking slower. When I'm in the grocery store, I'm in a public place, I walk slower, I'm much more attentive to those around me. And when I see people serving and they have name badges, I want to be intentional to use their name. And that leads then to the culminating inward crescendo, harmonizing. This is where you and I open up to diversity and realize new possibilities. The fact that you and I are different is not the issue. The issue is we fear being known as different and we fear being associated with what's different. It's our fear of difference that's the issue. So if we've worked through the regulating, engaging, accepting, and connecting, we're much more ready now to not fear the differences. And now we begin to just naturally expect, when I meet Matthew, well, I know Matthew's going to be different. When I meet Steve or, or Bell or Sejal or, or others, when I just anticipate you're not going to be like me. And so there is an acceptance to that. This is about, again, reducing our fears and valuing and respecting ourselves and our uniquenesses. One more thing about harmony. If you've ever sang in a choral group, you know that if you sing in unison, no matter how different you are, everybody is singing the same note at the same time, the same way, and what do you get? The same sound. But if you're singing in harmony, you've got different people singing different notes, different ways, with a little slightly different timing, and it creates a whole new sound. And harmony, by its very definition, is about embracing difference. And our harmonies are best when we're not afraid that someone next to us is singing a different note. So, as we learn how to begin to place the puzzle pieces, we begin to do this one step at a time. We make it slow to make it smooth, because once it's smooth, it slides a lot easier. Placing those puzzle pieces one at a time, incrementally working ourselves from the outer edges to the center middle point, managing the tension between the extremes, you and I become the me that we want to be. And so here are two questions that I'm going to present and offer for you to discuss in our breakthrough time. Question number one, in the last three months, what is one need you have become recognizing, you've become aware of a need that's been overlooked in your life, and that unmet need is getting in the way of you becoming the me that you want to be? Second question, of the five reach model steps that I've presented, which one is most likely to help you address your overlooked need? So, That'll conclude my my presentation and uh, thank you. You've just been given a taste of the inclusive leadership in a virtual world weekly gathering. If you would like to join us for an upcoming ILVW session, look for the registration URL in the comments. Register once and join us whenever your schedule permits.